All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is a mock draft Monday where I'll be looking at one of the draft network's recent mock drafts and breaking down who they selected for the Falcons, as well as a mailbag episode where I'll be answering your listener questions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcons, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. And I know we've been doing our positional reviews lately, and I was supposed to do a wide receiver review, but thanks to the powers that be at the uh, Locked On Podcast Network, we're unveiling a new feature today, sort of a crossover between our network and the draft network. And we'll be sort of doing a mock draft Monday. You guys know if you're regular visitors to the draft a website that I have plugged many times on this podcast over the last year that they drop a new mock draft every Monday. And, um, Sort of from here until the draft, I'll be breaking them down, the various mock drafts from their various experts and analysts at that website on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And, you know, the little caveat is because I record my Monday episodes on Sunday evening, I won't be able to break down what their most recent mock draft is. The one that if you go to the draftnetwork.com right now, you can find from whichever expert or analyst dropped on Monday. It is usually a cycle. Um, so what I will wind up doing is breaking down the previous weeks or weeks mock drafts. If there are multiple ones that I think are interesting, worthy of doing so. So I'll do that on today's episode. We'll get to the positional rankings, uh, tomorrow or positional review. I'm sorry. Tomorrow was starting with the wide receivers. I didn't want to sort of do not do the wide receiver position just by trying to condense it into 15 or, or, or 25 minutes rather than giving it the full 30 minutes on today's episode. That is a mock draft. So instead we'll be answering some listener questions that a couple of people submitted to me. There have been other questions uh, submitted earlier last week that I think are worthy of getting to eventually on the podcast, but I'm not going to get to Riley Strite or Jerron Johnson's questions um, later today. Instead, the questions that we'll be getting into are sort of once again, talking more about the disrespect for Matt Ryan, but I think it deserves to, to talk about sort of why Matt Ryan gets dis constantly disrespected. And we'll sort of touch a little bit on sort of the reports that Austin Hooper may be walking from Vaughn McClure of ESPN touch a little bit on sort of what the Falcons would need to do in order to replace Austin Hooper. If that should, that reality should come to, obviously we're going to talk a little bit more in depth on the tight end position when we get to that positional review on Wednesday or so. So, but we'll, we'll touch upon that a little bit. So, Without further ado, let's get into that lead story, breaking down the latest mock draft, looking at the mock draft from Jordan Reed at the draft network from January 6th. He had the Atlanta Falcons selecting Iowa edge rusher, AJ Epinesa. I think Epinesa is a very intriguing player with lots of potential. He's one of those guys. However, though, if you don't watch the right game, I think it would be hard for you to come away particularly impressed by him for Iowa. He's often utilized almost exclusively as a right defensive end and often is asked to line up in a five technique. So he rarely gets the opportunities to really pin his ears back and use his impressive length and speed to sort of bend the edge as you would traditionally expect from a four, three defense 
defensive end when he's lined up in that five technique sort of shaded over their offensive tackles outside shoulder. And so for those of you that are curious to sort of see the good of AJ Epinesa, I would recommend you to go to YouTube, watch the cut up from Iowa's, um, Minnesota game for Epinesa where he really got after the quarterback in that game, particularly late. Iowa started lining him up inside and he was really effective there beating that left guard for Minnesota. But throughout that game, he was regularly beating the left tackle, utilizing his speed, being able to get a few more opportunities than usual to really pin his ears back and use that length and that power to be effective at going up against that Minnesota left tackle. I think with his frame, his size, 6'6", 280, with his his length, he has the ability to really effectively use that. His go-to move, I think, is going to be as a bull rusher in the NFL, a player with a comparable frame and comparable style of play as someone like a Carlos Dunlap. But here in Atlanta, I think if he was going to be utilized, he'd probably be utilized as that inside-outside guy that Michael Bennett has made famous that we've seen the Falcons utilize Tack McKinley and Adrian Claiborne these last couple of years as I think Epinesa could have his full potential unlocked if his size and his length could be effectively deployed inside much more than it has been at Iowa over these last couple of years. I think the one knock I personally have on Epinesa is I think he has a tendency to rely a little bit too much on his natural gifts, his natural length and size and power. And he's not a guy that particularly rushes with a great plan. He's not a guy that's particularly adept at disengaging from blocks despite that length and whatnot. So I think he needs to be coached up from the the technical side of being able to utilize his hands, being able to disengage from those blocks. The concern with that as a Falcon fan is that we've had a lot, a number of players that were sort of these raw athletic players pass rushers drafted by this regime and they haven't quite worked out to the degree that I think we wanted them to Vic Beasley being a prominent example of that Tack McKinley who similarly has great length and power but you haven't necessarily seen Tack take that big leap to be that guy that rushes with a plan where John Kaminsky was another guy that the Falcons drafted this past year that again is another raw athletic guy we'll see what Kaminsky can become but I think if your concern is AJ Epinesa coming to Atlanta specifically a team that doesn't have a history of being able to coach up those guys to a high, high level for those guys to reach their ceiling. I do think you do worry maybe if Epinesa's floor is a little bit lower here in Atlanta um, or his ceiling potentially is a little bit lower here than it would be elsewhere. So that would be the concern, but I certainly think the potential is by all means there for him to be sort of a Carlos Dunlap to Grady Jarrett's Geno Atkins. If sort of, that's what you're hoping for with Epinesa. And I think that potential is there. I know pro football focus compared him to Jared Allen. I don't know if he's quite there yet in my eyes, but I certainly understand why they they sort of made that comparison. And I think that potential is there if you can fully unlock his potential as sort of this technical pass rusher that Jared Allen was in the NFL. So the concern with Epines is going to be sort of how quickly does he impact here in Atlanta, but certainly the potential is there. So go ahead and check out the draft network's latest mock draft over at thedraftnetwork.com, And we'll certainly be continuing to talk about it on these mock draft Mondays on the lockdown podcast network. So we'll continue today's episode by getting into some of these listener questions. 
coming up in just a moment. But I know it's a new calendar year and everybody's looking for ways to stay fit in 2020. And the best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, regardless of your activity level with daily live and on demand studio classes right in your home. You'll never have to step foot in the gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't a hundred percent satisfied, they'll give you your money back. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today and join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L to learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-F-L, echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. Echelon, it's your time. Now, we all could use a little bit of boost on confidence. We know the Falcons could use some on the football field, but you guys could be looking for that extra confidence in the bedroom. And all you have to do is check out bluechew.com. That's blue like the color. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they'll work up to twice as fast as a pill. Blue Chew is prescribed online. It ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in line at the pharmacy and best of all no more awkwardness blue chew is made in usa and since it's prepared and shipped direct it's cheaper than a pharmacy right now you can take advantage of this special offer by visiting bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code locked on just pay five dollars shipping again that's b-l-u-e chew.com promo code locked on to try it for free blue chew is the better cheaper and faster choice so uh, our first question comes from Kobe Robinson. He asks, hey, Aaron, for the last couple of seasons, I've been hearing all this Matt Ryan disrespect. And personally, I'm tired of it. Personally, I think he's the best quarterback to ever put on the Falcons uniform. And I know how you feel, but it seems the vast majority of people don't appreciate him and what he's done for the franchise. Why do you think that is? Kobe, I too am tired of it which is part of the reason why it doesn't bother me as much as maybe it bothers other people. But I think their answer is pretty simple. The reason why Matt Ryan gets disrespected is because he lost that Super Bowl. Now, uh, if you know, the Falcons had won that Super Bowl back in 2016, almost all of this disrespect would be gone. Is that a fair way of looking at it? But no, but it is sort of the nature of the beast. It's sort of how quarterbacks have always been judged. It's how they will continue to be judged for as long as I expect this game to be played. You know, you look at guys like Joe Flacco and Eli Manning, they got passes for many years after winning Super Bowls. Flacco was a below average quarterback for four out of the five years after his Super Bowl win before the Ravens finally said enough is enough. Eli was a below average quarterback for like four or five out of the seven years after his last Super Bowl win before the Giants decided, OK, we need to move on. You look at a guy like Drew Brees. Drew Brees won a Super Bowl in his ninth season, which was the same as Matt Ryan could have done. Drew Brees had a career year in his ninth season. 
It's not to say that Breeze wasn't good before that. He was great before that. He was very good after that as well. But it's certainly winning that Super Bowl changed the narrative on his career. All of a sudden, he gets put in the conversation as one of the truly elite quarterbacks that's not just one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but arguably the best in the quarterback in the league. He becomes a guy that's a sure thing as a Hall of Famer. And it's not to diminish anything that Drew Brees has done or anything like that, um, because I certainly think he would have earned those accolades even if the Saints had lost that Super Bowl. But it is one of those things that you look at the Saints and they managed to miss the playoffs four out of the seven years after that Super Bowl win in 2009. How much of that heat went on Drew Brees? Almost none of it did. Now, granted, Brees was throwing for 5,000 yards and 30 plus touchdowns while the Saints were having some of the worst defenses in the league in some of those years when they were going seven and nine. And so it would have seemed silly to blame Drew Brees, but that's a perspective that people had largely because, oh, Drew Brees is unquestionably good. It's the rest of the Saints that stink. And why is that? Because they won that Super Bowl. If they had lost that Super Bowl, I don't think people would have had that perspective. And you compare that to what the Falcons have done over the last three years since their Super Bowl. And it's not that dissimilar from what Matt Ryan has done. Certainly when you look at Matt Ryan's 2018, where he basically had 5,000 yards and 30 plus touchdowns. If Matt Ryan were to have three more years like that, but the Falcons managed to only go six and 10 or seven and nine or whatever, then how much heat would Matt Ryan take as opposed to what Drew Brees took? And I think the answer would be a lot more uh, in the case of Matt Ryan. So I think that's largely due to the fact that he quote unquote failed to win that one game. Again, I'm not putting that loss on Matt Ryan. I am by all means not, but the perception is that he was not good enough to elevate that team to win that game, which we all know is not a fair criticism of Matt Ryan, but that is the wider perception of him. And so for me, I guess my whole thing has always been like Super Bowls are magic to people. Like it just completely changes the narrative of a team, a coach, a player of everything when just winning one game. And I don't think that's really fair that one game counts so much more than the cumulative effect of 16 games or 19 games or 50 games or 180 games in the case of a player's career, because they managed to win one of those games. That's all more important, but it's just kind of the way it is. I don't think that's fair. And I didn't think it was fair 10 years ago when I was, you know, arguing with people about how this was not fair to criticize Matt Ryan. But basically what I'm getting at is, I've been arguing this for 10 years and I'm kind of tired of arguing it. And so my stance is basically if you're a Falcon fan in particular, and after 12 years of watching Matt Ryan, you still don't think he's a particularly good quarterback. There's nothing I'm going to say now in year 13, that's going to change your mind. So to me, it's kind of a waste of breath. It's a waste of energy to try to convince people otherwise. And if you're a national media person and you're one of these people that's quote unquote disrespecting Matt Ryan, I don't really care what you think about Matt Ryan. You know, there's so many national media personalities that, you know, that are on this radio or this network or whatever, like their football opinions are inconsequential to me because they're just kind of bad opinions. Now, to be fair to those people covering this sport is particularly hard on a national basis, you know. Covering one team is hard enough. I certainly can speak to that. You know, to adequately cover one team is very difficult. To adequately cover all 32 teams, is it's damn near impossible. A lot of it for me is I am very confident in my own opinions. 
I try not to care about whether or not the rest of the world agrees with me. Sometimes I do, but most of the time I try at least make an attempt to like, if other people disagree with me, it's whatever to me because I know what I think and they can go on thinking the wrong (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. So I don't necessarily lose sleep if ultimately, particularly ultimately, because I think come 2030, come 2032, come 2035, Matt Ryan, my opinion will ultimately be vindicated because Matt Ryan will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And particularly only someone that is super petty is going to be that concerned at that point in time about what people thought about Matt Ryan in 2017 or in 2019 or in 2020 or whatever the case may be. And I'm not particularly interested in being that guy. So I don't spend a ton of time worrying about it. My recommendation for other people is you shouldn't spend a ton of time worrying about it either, but I do understand why it does bother people. But I just think it's one of those things until the Falcons win a Super Bowl, fair or unfair, you're not going to see this perception change about Matt Ryan and his ability to win games. And I think this applies to all quarterbacks from the dawn of time, no matter how good you are, how many rings you got is going to be the question that defines your legacy in this league. And from most people's perspective, and until you win that hardware, people are always going to doubt you always going to disrespect you, always going to criticize you be quick with those criticisms. And that's just the nature of the beast. And I don't spend a ton of time worrying about that. So we got more to come on today's episode, but before we get there, why not go ahead and plug the draft where you can find all types of draft content, whether it's mock drafts, whether it's team needs, whether it's player profiles, again, the draft network is your one-stop shop where you can find not only written content, video content, but audio content because the draft network features various members that are linked up with the Locked On Network, including the Locked On NFL Draft, hosted by Trevor Sikkim and Ben Solak, the Draft Dudes Podcast, hosted by Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, and the Locked On College Football Podcast, hosted by Jordan Reed and Jonah Tulls, all of whom have been guests on this podcast. So you guys, of course, should know to go check out those guys at the Draft Network, at the various audio uh, platforms where you can find wherever you find this Locked On Podcast network show, including Google podcast, Apple podcast, and Spotify. So our last question of the day comes from skull Falcons school, not school anymore at Mave two, one, two, four on Twitter. He asks, if Hooper really leaves in free agency, do you see the Falcons focusing on getting a dynamic third wide receiver and an excellent blocking tight end fits in more in line with Dirk's past offenses from what I have seen. So what Andy here is referring to, and we'll get into more of this when we get to the tight end breakdown later this week, but it's certainly worth touching upon right now somewhat because it is a topic of great discussion is that Von McClure of ESPN wrote an article, I think it was on Friday, predicting that Austin Hooper, among others like Vic Beasley and Devondre Campbell, would eventually depart in free agency this year. And that got certain parts of Falcons Twitter, as well as I'm sure on other platforms elsewhere, up in arms, either because you're firmly in the camp of we have to sign Austin Hooper at all costs, or you're firmly in the camp of we should let Austin Hooper walk. And so wherever you fall on that, certainly you're going to feel some type of way about reading that. Um, Ultimately, my sort of quick response to that article is I do expect the Falcons to make a strong attempt to keep Hooper. However, I am not 
100% confident or convinced that they will ultimately succeed in that. Cause I don't feel confident that they're going to ultimately have that franchise tag in their back pocket. Cause I don't think the Falcons are going to use the franchise tag when push comes to shove against Austin Hooper. So basically if they do not get a deal done with Austin Hooper by that March 10th deadline, which is the deadline for the franchise tag, there's a very, very high probability that he will wind up being a goner. And so, you know, a month ago, I would have been a lot more confident about Austin Hooper being retained than I am right now. And a large part of that is due to the fact that the 30% rule, I think is throwing a wrench into what I envision the Falcons cap situation is a sort of recently discovered is that the 30% rule does apply to restructurings. So the max restructures that I thought the Falcons would be able to make with Matt Ryan and others aren't really in the cards because it sort of violates the 30% rule, which I've explained on previous episodes, but by all means, Google it uh, to get more details. And I won't go into it today, but that will certainly be a topic of discussion as we get further in the off season. But it is one of those things where, you know, I thought, you know, you look at the restructurings that the Falcons did with Matt Ryan and Grady Jarrett in the final week of the season, they freed up about, about $12 million. But if they did the max restructures that I've been talking about on this podcast, they should have been able to free up to about $20 million on those restructurings. And so it seemed like they left $8 million on the table, but I think because of the 30% rule, you know, that maybe they didn't necessarily leave that on the table because they couldn't get there. And then in addition, I sort of was miscalculating on how much it would cost in terms of immediate 2020 cap space to re-sign Austin Hooper. I was sort of lowballing, saying it's going to cost less than $5 million. Sort of re-looking at it with the 30% rule in mind, it's probably more likely that the low-end figure of that is going to be like 7 or $8 million. So essentially what's happened is there's like 10 to $12 million in, in flexibility in terms of cap space that I thought the Falcons would wind up having, which made me a lot more confident they would be able to get certain things done, like re-signing Austin Hooper. Hooper, uh, you know, a month ago than I, than I do right now. So that's my main concern right now. And so Hooper's representatives, you know, there may be a sort of a ceiling on sort of what the Falcons can realistically offer Hooper and Hooper's representation may look at that and say, well, you know, we might be able to get more on the open market. So let's go ahead and test the market. And as I said, if he gets to the market, the chances are very high that he will walk. And so I can understand from Vaughn McClure, Vaughn didn't say all this in the article, but like, that's sort of where my head is at sort of thinking about him. Like, yeah, it, it, you know, I still feel confident or no, let me say, I still feel optimistic that Hooper will resign. I think there's probably like a 60 to 70% chance, but you know, that's, probably going to tick down as we get closer to that March 10th sort of deadline uh, as we move forward. So we'll just sort of see how that develops. But as far as answering your question on what the Falcons will do to replace him, my expectations would be that they would sign sort of a cheap mid-level starting caliber tight end, similar to what they did a couple of years ago when they brought in someone like a Jacob Tammy. Um, maybe they bring in, you know, if these guys get cut, someone like an Ed Dixon, someone like a Rhett Ellison. And maybe that is a guy that's more of a blocking tight end because those guys tend to be a lot cheaper than the pass catching tight ends. If, if a guy like Cameron Break gets cut and can be had for relatively cheap, then he would be a, an ideal target because of that familiarity with Dirk Cutter and how he blossomed in the Dirk Cutter offense for a couple of seasons there in Tampa Bay. But, you know, my expectation would be that in addition to sort of that cheap veteran, the Falcons would target a, a, a 
tight end high in the draft because I don't think they're going to solve their long-term tight end needs uh, with a, a veteran presence, nor do I feel like the Falcons are going to be as beholden and in love with Jaden Graham's potential as maybe some fans are um, in terms of making him be the, I think the Falcons would be hopeful that they can develop Jaden Graham, but I don't think they're going to be like, Oh yeah, Austin Hooper's Jaden Graham's has just as much potential to be Austin Hooper um, as, as um, a lot of fans think. And I think, you know, Graham did some good work as a replacement for Hooper, but I think people are maybe exaggerating how valuable two or three big plays in terms of making you a reliable starter uh, that you would want at that tight end position. As for the idea that, you know, that's going with a blocking tight end fits more with Dirk. When you go back to Dirk's history, the tight end position has always been a valued part of the passing game throughout Cutter's offenses in the NFL, whether you go back to Mercedes Lewis in Jacksonville, Tony Gonzalez here in Atlanta, Cameron Brayton in Tampa Bay, OJ Howard's emergence last year in 2018 had more to do with Todd Monken, who we will continue to give credit for the 2018 offensive explosion for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, rather than Dirk Cutter on this podcast. Um, so I do think tight end having a reliable pass catcher at the tight end position is important, and I don't think you're going to find that if you, basically if if you let if Hooper walks because you can't pay him, it's not as if you're going to have a ton of money to go and pay somebody else. It's going to be because well we couldn't fork up the extra million or two or whatever that we needed to in order to pay Hooper, so that means you're not going to necessarily have a whole bunch of millions to pay somebody else. So again, it goes back to I think the Falcons would look for a a draft option there. But I think the issue is this offense is not going to be able to function in the way that it wants to if it doesn't have an effective tight end, which is that hashtag physical function that they're looking for. You need to have somebody that can be reliable. Now, you can just have an offense that has mostly a blocking tight end and three good wide receivers, as you're seemingly suggesting. That's what basically what the Rams have been running up until this past season uh, under Sean McVay, where it was primarily three wide receiver heavy offense. They were able to have a healthy running game under Todd Gurley and Tyler Hibby until this season has primarily been a blocking tight end for them. But obviously that's Sean McVay running that offense and we have Dirk Cutter. So you can understandably understand why I'm not necessarily as optimistic that Dirk Cutter will suddenly be able to borrow a page exactly from Sean McVay and be able to run an offense as effectively as Sean McVay has run in LA these past couple of years. So I think, if the Falcons lose Hooper, their offense is going to hinge heavily on Dirk Cutter's ability to basically successfully operate this offense almost exclusively through Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Think about what Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster did in Pittsburgh in 2018. Think about what Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs did in 2018 in Minnesota with, you know, those those combinations of guys combining for 300, 320 plus targets. You know, you had Juju and, and Thielen living in the slot and you'd probably have to have Julio, possibly Ridley sort of living in the slot and spending, you know, 40, 50, 60% of his snaps on the interior. Um, and then you would probably try to get a third wide receiver on the outside. Like you're mentioning a dynamic guy that can stretch the field on the outside because you're going to primarily have one of your top two guys on the interior. Uh, so when you do use those three wide receiver sets. The issue is the tight end position was kind of important for both of those offense with Vance McDonald providing, uh, you know, certainly value for the Steelers with Kyle Rudolph, 
providing value for the Vikings in 2018 in those years, in addition to the fact that those teams had very strong running games. Although what's interesting is both of those teams finished near the bottom of the league in terms of uh, rushing yards because while James Conner and Dalvin Cook were certainly effective in certain games, they weren't able to sustain that over a 16-game season. And so what you would really need to have in order to make that offense work, as we saw with the Steelers and Vikings who both missed the playoffs in 2018, you really need to have that caliber of running game where you have those guys operating at a high level for a 16-game season. So you would need, in this case, James Conner, Dalvin Cook, rushing for 13-plus hundred yard, 1300 plus yards type of season rather than what they had, which was like, you know, 900 or so for Connor and I think less for cook because he missed most of the year. So the thing with Hooper is the idea. I think that I disagree with a lot of folks is to think that he's sort of expendable. Hooper is not as expendable as, a lot of people like to pretend he's basically 20% of the Falcons passing game. He's basically a thousand yard guy. If he had played an entire season, I think he would have, he was on pace to finish with like 970 yards And this idea that thousand yard tight ends or thousand yard wide receivers grow on trees or very easy to find and replace, I think is a ridiculous notion. I think most of you guys would recognize that. And so what you would need to do in order to replace that thousand yards is you would need substantial improvement from your Falcons running game, probably taking up the bulk of that. And so like six to 700 of those yards going to your running back and whether that's Devonte Freeman, whether that's a rookie in conjunction with Devonte Freeman or outright replacing Devonte Freeman, again, you need your running game to produce 1900 to 2000 plus yards in order to make up for the fact that your passing game, is not going to be as potent, particularly if they're forced to have to throw the ball 600, 700 times as they did this past year, unless you are fully expecting Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones to both have, you know, 180 plus targets, stay healthy the entire year and be the, you know, the very best versions of what we've seen from them, which again, Given what we saw from Dirk Cutter this past year, I have no reason why anybody would be optimistic about that. So, again, replacing Hooper would be a huge obstacle for this offense to overcome unless you could get a huge improvement from your running game. Unless you can get Julio and Ridley engaged and Graham to basically really step up their play to a significant degree in 2020, as well as in conjunction with the defense. If you don't get all of that from your offense, then your defense has to be lights out because you didn't have to be able to play with leads and force teams to stay low scoring. So your offense doesn't need to be nearly as good, nearly as potent um, through the air as it was this past year um, when it was on, it wasn't always that potent as, as we, we all know. But, you know, so you're, you don't have to rely on throwing the football and thus you can run the football a lot more because you're able to keep teams low scoring because we know, again, despite what many people might be out there opining, running the football doesn't lead to points that much. You're not going to be this high flying 30, 40 scoring point offense by running the football 30 plus times a game. Rarely does that happen in the NFL. Um, without having a big explosive play element to your offense. So the point I'm trying to make is replacing Hooper is going to be very difficult for this Falcon team to overcome. 
And, you know, we, we talk about sort of being skeptical of whether or not this team can turn it around and losing Hooper at the outset of free agency would be a massive blow. And you would basically have to put all your stock in the Falcons, finding another Saquon Barkley, a Nick Chubb, a Kareem Hunt, a Josh Jacobs type of rookie running back to come in right away and impact right away. You would have to put all your faith in Dirk Cutter, being able to figure out how to operate a two headed offense, which he's never really been able to do, um, you know, without having at least that third option in the passing game being particularly potent as we saw in 2012 with Tony Gonzalez, in addition to Roddy white and Julio Jones. Um, and then you would have to be completely confident that this Falcon defense picks it exactly where they left off at the end of the season, which of those three things, maybe I would probably be the most optimistic about that happening. Uh, just for the sake of just changing things up and actually being buying stock on this Falcon defense for the first time ever, you know, maybe, but again, because we've been sold, you know, that all oh, this defense is really coming together for four years now. And it really hasn't outside of eight games at the end of last season. You know, again, that's a, a healthy degree of skepticism. If I'm, if I have to buy stock on that. So yeah, man, I, I think the, the idea that people have that, you know, Paying like, again, I understand people saying like, we shouldn't pay Hooper because we have other issues that we need to address. And we, you know, I get why people say that. I don't always agree with that when, particularly when they say we can't afford it. But I think the idea that, oh, if we don't pay Hooper, that means that now we can invest and we'll, we'll suddenly get that defense. We'll suddenly get that running game. I think is probably people being a little bit naive. I don't think you'll be able to snap your fingers and take the money that you would have paid to Austin Hooper and be able to invest in those other areas. And all of a sudden those problems get fixed. And all of a sudden you, you, again, you have the huge gains in those areas that I think people that you would need to have. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm rambling at this point to wrap up the end of the show, but I think people are underestimating how important having a player like Austin Hooper. And it's definitely worthwhile in the event that, all these other things don't come together. All of a sudden, Dirk Cutter doesn't look like a genius. All of a sudden, your running game, you know, you got to go from a bottom five running game to a top five running game overnight. And I don't, I'm sorry, but I don't think signing, a, you know, a guard in free agency, spending Austin Hooper money on, on a guard and or drafting a running back in round two is going to suddenly be the catalyst that suddenly jump starts your running game to be a top five unit call me crazy for thinking that. And again, I'd like to be optimistic about this defense, putting it all together and playing at the way that they played in the second half of the season for an entire season. But history has taught me to be very skeptical when buying stock on the Falcons defense. So again, all of that would have to come together for this team to be a playoff team without Austin Hooper. And again, it's not to sit here and say like, Oh, you keep Austin Hooper and none of those, you don't have to worry about any of those issues. No, I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying that it's easier to navigate those issues. If those issues, if one or two of those issues don't come together, if you have Austin Hooper, because you always have that three headed monster in your passing game in your back pocket, the, okay, if our defense isn't as good and we're not able to shut down teams, we can throw the ball to get back into games. If our running game doesn't do a complete 180, we still have this potent passing game to go. And so in an ideal world, you can, 
have the running game improve, keep Austin Hooper. So you have that passing game. So you, now you have a four headed monster in your offense that is even harder to stop. In addition to the defense coming together and being that type of unit that can actually stop teams. And that's the type of team that is a legitimate team that can actually do some damage in the postseason If all of those things come together, but without Austin Hooper, who, you know, it's going to be a lot tougher to do that. So that's basically where my stance is on that. But we'll continue the conversation around Austin Hooper in the tight end position, as well as the wide receiver position on future episodes coming up this week on Locked on Falcons podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Jerron Johnson and um, Riley Stripe, we will get to your questions at a later date. I don't know exactly. You know, we might just make it a mock draft Monday slash Monday mailbag episode for the upcoming weeks, unless I have another specific topic that I want to get to on those Monday episodes. So um, that is something to keep an eye on as we get through these positional reviews and get to your questions. But of course you can submit your questions if you have for future Monday mailbag slash mock draft Monday episodes, or whenever we get to those uh, questions via Facebook and, and Twitter at locked on Falcons. Or if you prefer to avoid social media to submit your questions, you can email me at lockedonfalcons at mail.com. So send in those questions, send in that commentary, whatever you want, whatever feedback you want to provide, positive, negative, or neutral um, via those platforms. And uh, hopefully I'll respond. <laughs> All right, guys. Until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.